You are listening to the Long Hollow Students Podcast. For more information and to stay updated, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at LH Students. And so one of the things we're going to do uh, is we're going to talk about some things that we believe uh, are, are things that you're facing and some topics and some situations and some issues that you deal with on, the regu- on a regular basis. And so we believe it's necessary to try to give you some tools in your tool belt and how to engage uh, these topics uh, in your culture. And so tonight we're diving into a topic that honestly is not an easy topic. We're talking about the idea of abortion and the topic of abortion. And so uh, if you've got a, you, everybody should have a card on their seat. Uh, or two of them. One is a half sheet. One is a card that just says, so what? Uh, I want you, as we're, as we're diving into this idea uh, and this topic, as questions come up that maybe you've got about abortion that isn't answered or, or you want more clarity on, I'm going to ask that you just write that question down. And as you leave uh, tonight, in the back uh, over there, you see this random mailbox. It actually has a purpose every now and then. You're going to place that in there or hand it to a pastor. And so that's what that's for. The half sheets, you know what the half sheets are for. Those are for you to take note. We, we believe that you forget 86% of what you don't write down. And so we want to encourage you uh, to write down things that stand out to you. So tonight we're kicking off a series called So What? So no, so what? How do we come up with this idea of this topic? Well, it, it came, we came to the realization that we live in a society that is seemingly, that seemingly has this, uh, so what attitude. You ever been around somebody like that? You, you present something or something's going on at school and you're like, uh, so what? Right? So we recognize this is something that's big in our culture, especially about topics that are dramatic but also traumatic in our culture and in our society. And so we realize that people have strong opinions about a lot of the topics that we're going to discuss. And we realize that maybe you have some strong opinions about what we're going to Discuss. So we want to dive into them, but not give our opinions, not give what we think is right, but give what we believe Scripture says is right. Because here's what we, we also realize. With this so what culture, unfortunately, when it comes to the church, in history, not in all, all circumstances, but in history, a lot of times the church either has a silent answer, which is worse than not having an answer at all, is silent on a subject, or is very seemingly judgmental about a subject. And so what we want to do, our hope with this whole series is this, to move a culture, not saying that you guys as a whole in this room are, ah, so what, but to help you understand that we need to move as a culture uh, from this so what attitude to a, so what am I going to do about it? Does that make sense? And so we believe in you, and we believe you could be a generation of change to move from a so what to a so what am I going to do about it generation. So tonight's topic is a difficult topic. Uh, it's a topic that's been on the forefront of our culture and our society for a long time. Since 1973, this has been a very big issue when we dive into the idea of abortion. So as I dive in, um, I want everybody in this room to know this. I want everybody in this room to know that you are loved and you are cared for and that we as a student ministry love you and our church love you. Uh, but more importantly than us, God loves you. And the reason I say that is this. I'm not ignorant to the fact that when you guys heard that we were talking about this topic, maybe you know some friends that didn't come tonight because we were talking about this, because it's, it, it, it hits home. Or maybe somebody's in here and, uh, and, it, and this topic hits home to you because maybe you've thought about this or maybe you have done this or maybe you know somebody uh, that has done this or has thought about this and it, and it hits home. And so I say that you are loved because my goal tonight is to provide grace and not condemnation. 
to provide that, that there is love and there is redemption and that Jesus died on the cross to uh, forgive all sins. And so if you were in here and you're like, man, there's no way God can love me. There's no way if anybody knew that I did this or I thought about this that they would love me. Let me tell you, let me stop you right there. You're loved. And Christ loves you enough that he died even for that. And so I want you to feel that. I want you to know that tonight. But I also realize that um, the things that we say are going to hit people differently. So here's what I'm going to ask. Throughout this entire series, I want you to be mindful of how things hit you. And so you may have a reaction uh, or uh, you may have a posture or something that comes on your face when I say certain things. I'm going to ask you out of respect because you don't know who's sitting beside you, just to be mindful of how you react to certain things. And so we don't want to offend anybody in here, uh, but we're going to uh, respect everyone. So Here's what I want to do to to dive into this idea. Everybody turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, mainly in in verses 10 and 11. John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. But before we dive into that that passage, uh, here's what's going on, the context of what Jesus is about to say. In this passage, Jesus is at the temple. All right, he's doing what he does. He's teaching, right? He's there, and these Pharisees and these leaders, uh, religious leaders, come to confront him. You ever realize, like, often in Scripture, they're trying to, like, punk Jesus, but it never turns out well, right? They never can actually punk Jesus. Why? Because he's Jesus, right? It doesn't make sense. But they don't realize that. They're a bunch of fools. So they come in. They're trying to confront Jesus. They're trying to, trying to uh, catch him in, a, in a, answering a certain way so they can you know, get rid of him, basically. So uh, they come, these Pharisees and the leaders come, right? So they come, uh, and they're bringing this lady, this one individual with her. Now, uh, she is known in the community as an adulterer, right? So she has a big A. It's very evident that she has committed adultery. And so they're bringing this woman to Jesus to see what his response would be to her her sin and her openness to be uh, in adultery. So they bring her. You can almost picture this scene where it's, it's all these men, these religious men, right? And there's this woman. You can imagine the look on her face of shame and just guilt and all of these things, right? And so she's got this look on her face of she's sitting there. And they're all like, you know, the, the, the law says that we should stone this woman, that we should kill this woman because of what she has done. Jesus, what do you say? Jesus, the only way Jesus would, he, he, he paints this picture. These guys are surrounding her. Here he goes. And Jesus gets down and, 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 he, and he draws a line in the sand, right? So he draws this line. Y'all, y'all see it? You can picture it in your mind in the sand. And he begins to write these words. And basically what happens is this. They're trying to call this woman out. And what Jesus does is he brings everybody in. He reels them in and he says this. Whoever has never committed any sin, any sin, throw the first stone. That's my paraphrasing, by the way. So basically what he's saying is, If you're willing to cross that line that I just drew in the sand, you can cross the line. But keep in mind, if you throw the stone, there's going to be a stone thrown right back at you. And one by one, it's almost like Jesus like, bam, got them. And they're like, oh, dang, so I'm out. So they start walking. And one by one, you picture like, oh, well, you know, that didn't work again. So they walk off. And here's what Jesus says to this lady. I love this. He looks at her, and he's like, where did they go? Where did they go? He says this. Verse 10, woman. He says, where are they? Isn't that kind of cool? They're like, she's like there moping. You can just imagine she's, she's humiliating. He's like, where are they? Where are they? Has no, has no one condemned you? The woman's response, no one, Lord, she answered. He says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Isn't that beautiful? That Jesus says, even in, I know what you've done, right? I know, know what you did. They know what you did, but listen to me. I give forgiveness, 
Go and sin no more. So if you're in here tonight and you've fallen into a situation that maybe is related to this topic or you know someone, there is forgiveness. And Jesus died to say, I love you enough to die for that forgiveness. So hopefully that encourages us tonight as we dive into some pretty serious stuff. I wanted to paint the picture first for you to know that you are loved and Christ loves you. So how do you approach a topic like this? You're going, I don't know, I'm waiting for you to shut up and tell me, right? Uh, how, do you, how do you approach a topic like this? It's very, very difficult, honestly. Uh, I was talking to Jeremiah and a couple of the guys. This has been a tough topic to talk on. When you start speaking it out loud, you're going, man, uh, I want to be careful how I say that. I want to I be mindful of what comes out of my mouth because I want to I paint the picture of the gospel. I never want to, I always want to sway on the side of grace, never condemnation. And so how do you approach? I think there's a few ways, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you three ways that we're going to break this down, and then we're going to break those down even more. So here's how I think you first have to look at the facts. How do you approach this? You have to look at the facts. Because here's the thing. When you see facts, they're facts for a reason, meaning they're true. They're real. These actually happen. When you look at the facts and you see them, they're astounding. Like, that you can't turn a blind eye to facts. You can't turn a blind eye to what actually happened. But then secondly, we have to look scientifically. We have to go to science. You know, everybody's like, oh, science, you know, can't be a Christian and have science. Yeah, you can, because there's a lot of proof within science. But well, how we end this and how we back it all in, how we book in this is with the most important piece. Y'all ready for it? What do you think it is? Scripture. All right? So we have facts, you have science, and then you have Scripture that backs up everything, that gives us our purpose and how God created such amazing beings, his most prized possessions, and that's you and me. So in 1973... Anybody ever heard of Roe versus Wade, right? 1973, a few of us, awesome. So that's, no, it's a history lesson tonight, right? Here we go. 1973, Roe versus Wade said that women had the choice to determine whether or not they wanted to uh, keep an unborn child. So for instance, a woman comes in, she's pregnant. She's like, I didn't want to be pregnant. And so she has the decision now, after this was passed, to decide whether or not she wanted to keep that child, to birth that child, to adopt that child, give that child away, or to kill that child. They call it abortion. Since then, the debate of pro-life versus pro-choice has become the front and center of our society and our culture since 1973. Now, what I love about this passage that we just read in John chapter 8, it shows us that Jesus himself was always pro-life. You're like, well, that makes sense. Yes, he's pro-life. But listen to me. As believers, if you're in here tonight and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've surrendered my life to Jesus, he is, as this woman said, Lord of my life, then listen to me. We are also pro-life. But pro-life isn't isn't in a box. Pro-life isn't just abortion. Listen to me. Pro-life is all living beings. Pro-life is everything as Jesus was everything. He was, he was that to the unborn child that was about to be aborted. He, was the, he, was, he showed compassion towards the poor. He was pro-life for the poor, for the sick, for the homeless, for the mentally challenged, for the refugee, for the aged, for the inmates, those who have abortions and those who have sinned differently than you and I. He was pro-life because he valued every living being. So therefore, we can't put abortion in a box and say, I'm only pro-life for this, yet I'm going to abandon everyone else because they look differently than me or they act differently than me. No, no, no. We are pro-life because everybody, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, everybody we encounter should be as if we're encountering Jesus himself. Remember when he said, when he, when he was asking the question, when did we feed you, Jesus? When did we clothe you, Jesus? When did we give you drink, Jesus? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Y'all remember that? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That's what I'm saying here. 
Everybody should be pro-life. So our big idea tonight is this. You ready for it? Our big idea tonight is our value comes from God. Our value, your value, comes from God. Now, uh, to, to unpack this idea, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the facts first. I said this at the beginning. We're going to look at some facts. Now, I want to bore you with facts. I'm like a numbers guy. I'm, I'm not a numbers guy. So, like, anytime people start talking about facts and numbers, I get like, oh, my gosh. Like, I get, like, exhausted already. So, but I think facts are very, very important because we have to understand what exactly has taken place and what is taking place. Now, what I'm going to put on the screen, I wish that it would work the way I wanted it to, but this is a, a live um, abortion calendar. So this is like, it's updating every second. Uh, so you see, this was at, uh, this was at 5.03 p.m. this afternoon. Or at 5.03 this afternoon, we see uh, the United States, how many people were aborted in the United States today. It's 1,804 today were aborted in the United States. This year, 595,000 were aborted worldwide since 1980. One million, I can't even do all that math. Anyway, it's a lot of numbers, right? You see that. Now, if we were to take this and we were to just narrow it down from globally to nationally, here's where we are. Globally to nationally, just in the United States. In the United States since 1973, 60 million babies have been put to death. 60 million, 60 million babies have been aborted since 1973. That's 1,095,000 in a year, 3,000 a day, and one every, listen to me, one every 30 seconds a child is being put to death. Now, if you're anything like me, like I said earlier, these numbers are too staggering for me to wrap my mind around. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even add that, or it's not even, I didn't add anything, I just had to read it, I couldn't even do it, right? So numbers freak me out. So for me, I'm going, how do I wrap my mind around these large numbers? And for me, I had to put it into terms I could understand. And the best way I could illustrate this is this way. Adolf Hitler uh, in, in the Nazi uh, regime, he, he murdered 6 million people. So under Hitler's reign in Germany, he murdered innocent men, women, and children. And it was 6 million. That's a lot of people. 6 million people people. And here's the deal. No one in this room, I don't even have to question or raise your hand, no one in this room would say, ah, so what? Right? Would in, nobody in this room would say, so what? He killed six million people. No one would say that. I've been to the Holocaust Museum in D.C. I've seen it. It's, I can't wrap my mind around it. And I, would, I can guarantee you no one in the world would go, so what? And we would all agree that the world, for that matter, would agree to this, that the Holocaust was probably one of the most horrific things known to man, right? If you studied it, if you haven't studied it, I, I challenge you to go learn about the Holocaust. But nobody, everybody would agree this is the most horrific thing that's ever happened. But thankfully, there were some people that said, went from so what to so what am I going to do about it? And because of that, Hitler was, was stopped and people's lives were eventually saved. And the six million stopped at six million but as horrific as the Holocaust is, and as large a number as six million is, it does not compare to 60 million people. Think about that. 60 million people have been put to death, unborn babies who could not voice for themselves that they didn't want this decision. It was, the decision was made for them. 60 million have been put to death. 
And a lot of people use the word murder, and murder is such a strong word, and you're going, whoa, 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 that, that feels a little uncomfortable. But here's the thing, because people's rebuttal and people's argument to this is, what about women's rights? It's always women's rights, right? And I, I'm a firm believer in women's rights. I mean, uh, yes, I believe women have rights, and our country's come so long, but women's rights goes to, well, well, they didn't mean to get pregnant. They didn't want to get pregnant. They, they, it wasn't the right time. They're a teenager. They, they, uh, they weren't ready for this. They got the rest of their lives to live. So they need to be able to make a decision to end a life. So how do you figure this right? We have to go to science to figure out what a life is, right? We need to go to science. And so you see on your sheets, uh, uh, we see, is the unborn alive? There's three questions I'm gonna ask regarding the science. The first one is the unborn a lot, because that's the big debate. When does life start? When can you determine whether life uh, is considered to be uh, killed or, or, or murdered or whatever term terminology you want to use? Is the unborn alive? Well, in 1973, when Roe versus Wade was passed, the ability to see a baby, think about this, the ability to see a child as we can see it today in the mother's womb did not exist to the extent that we have today. So today we have what's called 3D sonograms. Anybody heard of this? It's incredible. So today you could actually get an ultrasound sonogram, and it's a 3D image of a baby, even at eight weeks old. We got some pictures. At eight weeks old, you can see a baby smiling. Look at that. Like a baby is smirking. This is eight weeks old. Now, if you're going, how long is eight weeks old? You wouldn't even be able to tell that a woman was really pregnant. Some you can, most you can't, all right? At eight weeks old, you can see a baby smiling at you. All right, you can see them sucking their thumbs. It's incredible. Check this one out. Sucking, I mean, look at that. Eight weeks old. Eight weeks old, you see them sucking their thumb. And then there's images of them, uh, if, videos, if we had time to do that, you can see them kind of like twitching. And like, I, when I sleep, I twitch. Can anybody do that? You twitch when you have a dream like I'm running up a building? Anyway, like there, there's, there's images and videos of, the, of them dreaming and having these dreams. But then there's these videos of them trying to get uh, uh, blood testing or, 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 or they need to stick a needle uh, and, and grab blood samples or grab samples. And here's what's incredible, remarkable. It's remarkable, eight weeks old. This, you see this needle come into the picture and all of a sudden you see the baby when it touches its heel or touches it, the baby literally recoils from the needle. Why? Why do you think? He can feel it. At eight weeks old, all of its internal organs it is able to function, so its heart is beating. Its lungs are functioning. His kidneys are functioning the way they are. He has the, they have a fingerprint. Isn't that incredible? Eight weeks old, and they have the ability, because of this, to feel pain at eight weeks old. So we can see these things that they weren't able to see back in 1973. And the point of all this is this. We would, we would all agree that those images showed a living being, Correct? Do you see a living thing? It is eight weeks old, it is living, it is breathing, it is doing all of these things. And here's the reason. If it grows, it's living. We see that living things grow. Does that make sense? So that's eight weeks. Think about 21 weeks in. If that's eight weeks old, can you imagine what 21-week-old baby looks like? I'm like, it's incredible. I'm like, just go ahead and bring the thing. To, yeah. Like, 21 weeks, right? You can't do that, by the way. Sometimes it happens. Because here's the thing. At 21 weeks, a baby can actually... Incredible. A baby can actually live outside of the womb at 21 weeks. Isn't that nuts? It needs some help. It can't just like, I'm here. You know, it has to have some help. You know, it has to have some help. Uh, but at 21 weeks, it can live on its own. 
So understanding what eight weeks looks like, you can kind of picture, like, I mean, it probably looks like what it's going to look like when it comes out at 21 weeks, except bigger and a little bit stronger and all those things. So think about this then. If that's true, did you know that out of the one million abortions that were done in this past year, the majority of the abortions that were performed were after 21 weeks? was after 21 weeks. That is a living being. That is a living, breathing, functioning human being. But the argument always goes back to the women's rights. Goes, well, the woman's got the right to choose. What about, what about incest? What about rape? What about those situations? Let me, let me, those things are legitimate, right? Those things are horrific. Those things should never happen to anybody, ever, ever, ever. But did you know that the majority of abortions, that statistic is very, 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 shall I say very, again, small. Out of the one million in the last year, over 21 weeks, it was all, listen to me, majority out of convenience. They would say it was merely out of inconvenience in my life. I wasn't ready for this. I made a mistake. I got in a relationship I shouldn't have been in, and then this happened. And so I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to deal with it. I can't handle this. My parents are going to be angry with me. People are going to look down on me. People are going to be ashamed of me. I don't want it. So let's just get rid of it. Matt Chandler says, says it this way. He says it's murder at the sake of convenience. He says murder at the sake of convenience happens. And, and, and his point goes to the facts that I mentioned earlier. And we know that there is life. And we know that life has had been taken over 60 million times. So what this tells me, if the majority was out of inconvenience in their life, then what we are seeing is that one can determine that their life means more than another's. That their life trumps another life, which leads to the point is, it's kind of a, so what about this life? So what? Abortion's not that big a deal. It's an inconvenience to me. So what? I'll just get rid of it. I'll fix it. So what? Listen to this article. It just blows my mind as I study these things. Listen to this article uh, and, and very fitting. I didn't, I didn't get this because of the title. It just, I was researching this. I came up to this quote, and I was like, the title was this, So What If Abortion Ends Life? That's the name of the article. So what if abortion ends life? The key words are obviously what? So what? It's uh, by Mary Elizabeth Williams. She says this. She says this. It blows my mind. It's hard to even read. She says this. Yet I know that throughout my own pregnancies, plural, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a, a human life. She agrees. That's what it is. It's a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solid, solidly pro-choice. She recognizes that it is a literal human, human moving, living thing. And she says, I don't have any problem I have no problem knowing this and putting that child to death. No problem. 
She has, she has no doubt that she's carrying it, but her logic, listen to her logic, her response to this is heartbreaking and it is sickening. Listen to her logic to the fact that she says, I have no problem with putting to death a child. Murder, listen to it. She says, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. Does that sound contradictory to something that you've read your entire life in scripture? She says, all life is not equal. And she says, that's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about. Lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Kind of an aggressive wording. She's like, this is what people are going to think of us. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as a woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. The mom's the boss. The child inside of her can't make a decision, so the mom, therefore, is the boss. Her life is what is right for her, listen to me, circumstance. And her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. To paint a picture, I, wanna, I want you to hear. I want you to hear from someone who actually was a result of a woman's mindset like this. Check out this video. Excellent. Well, my name is Gianna. No, I was not named after St. Gianna, but I feel very uh, blessed indeed uh, to be given the name that I've been given, meaning God is gracious. He has been gracious to me. I have the gift of cerebral palsy, and I was aborted and I did not die because I do not die easy. <laughs> I am adopted and my biological parents were 17 and my biological mother went to have a saline abortion. It is a saline salt solution that is injected into the mother's womb. The baby gulps that solution. It burns the baby inside and out. Then she is to deliver a dead baby within 24 hours. And after being burned alive in my own mother's womb for approximately 18, I was delivered alive in a Southern California abortion clinic. So um, my life is miraculous indeed. However, my life is also not defined by abortion. My life is defined by Christ. I am not a victim, I am a victor. I was delivered alive in an abortion clinic. I didn't die, obviously. The abortionist had to sign my birth certificate. I love that! I do! <laughs> my medical records state on them, born during saline abortion. And uh, I was then taken to the hospital, placed in an incubator weighing two pounds. They did not expect me to live, and then after several months of not dying, they finally concluded that this baby girl had a tremendous will to live, and that I didn't want to die. Darn straight! So after that, I was placed in emergency foster care, where I, I was not treated very well. They decided they didn't like me. I've... Uh, seeing that there was a theme going on in my life, that there were many that were against me, but that God himself is for me, and he has the final say. So he took me out of that house and placed me into the home of a woman who I consider a queen. Her name is Penny. 
By this time, I was only 17 months, 32 pounds of dead weight, and I could not move, and, they, and I was diagnosed with what I consider the gift of cerebral palsy, which was caused by the lack of oxygen to my brain while I was fighting to survive. And one thing that I would like to just interject for a second is if abortion is merely about women's rights, then what were mine? Because there wasn't a, a, a radical or, or well-meaning feminist yelling about how my rights were being violated that day. And ladies and gentlemen, I say this with grace and with mercy, but every day I bear the mark of someone else's decision on my life. I limp all the way to heaven joyfully and, and, and happily, but I limp because of someone else's decision. And in a culture where we are taught that our decisions are, are ours alone and affect no other, um, I, I, I gladly limp, but I just wanted to make the point. All by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. Um, I'm his girl, and uh, he fights for me. So what this proves to us is the last two questions regarding science. And she said this herself. If it only is about women's rights, then how fair is it for one to make a decision for another who can't even speak for itself? And what this answers the last two questions is this. Is the unborn separate from the mother? And how do we know it's human? So obviously, this woman was born, even, try over, even though she, was tr she, was, uh, she had tried to be killed, right? She was born. So it sh proves to us through science and through reality that the mother and the child are two separate beings, right? That makes perfect sense. But here's the crazy controversy about abortion and women's rights. It's this. If they are scientifically proven to be two human people, meaning there's the mother has its own DNA, has her own DNA, has her own heartbeat, has all its own things, then child at eight weeks, we've already determined, has its own heartbeat, has its own fingerprint, has its own DNA, two separate people. Here's a controversy. A woman can make her mind up to go in the life of an unborn child, but in most states, if a pregnant woman was driving down the road, listen to this. Pregnant woman is driving down the road, a drunk driver or someone texting and driving, someone driving recklessly hits that woman and the baby dies, the person goes to jail for vehicular homicide. If the mother and the child die, they go for two counts of manslaughter. So do you see the controversy? Do you see the logic not lining up? So a woman go into life herself, but if someone ends the life for her, then they're a murderer. So we see that they are not separate, or they are not one entity, that the mother has no right to end the life and to make that decision for that child. They are two separate beings. But also, we see, and I think this is very important, that we obviously know that humans create humans, right? That makes total sense. So how are humans created? How is this, how is this process even, even started? Humans create humans. Therefore, as we said, the DNA is formed. Fingerprints are formed. Heartbeats are heard. All of these things happen. But what is the difference in an unborn human, a baby in a mother's womb, and you and I, someone that's already living and active and walking? What's the difference in you and I and an unborn baby, the only difference is the value given to one versus the other. 
In this case, the only difference in the unborn child and you and me is the value given to one versus the other. What do I mean by this? Davis Ward, stand up for a second. All right. Uh, my man right here in the front row, right there, stand up for me for a second. What's your name? Cameron. Cameron? Awesome. Davis, do me a favor. Come and stand beside Cameron. Cameron, don't take offense to this. I'm not about to do nothing weird. Don't take offense to this. Uh, I'm a little guy myself, so I can, I can sympathize with you. Now, here's the deal. If a value is placed, right, if a value, I should have stood beside him. If a value is placed upon what one person says about another, all right, and one of the controversial issues is size, Okay, you see where I'm going with this? It's size. Well, a baby is small. A baby is in the womb. It can't make, it's too small. Well, a human is obviously much bigger than a baby. So in this case, if that logic is true for everything, then Davis, you're so much more valuable than my man Cameron. Would y'all agree? Davis is way, no, 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 don't answer that. No, Cameron, you are so much probably more valuable, I'm kidding, than Davis. Like, you are just as valuable. You are just as equal. You are just as important. You are as you and you are the same. You get it? You track it with me? Hey, y'all give him a hand. Thank you. So we would never say, we would never say, oh, because Davis is, is taller than Cameron, that he is more valuable. No, but they would say that about abortion. Now, if I was to take another twist with the same two individuals, we notice that one is Caucasian and one is African-American, right? So their environments are a little bit different. Their cultures are a little bit different. The way they live are a little bit different. If the same logic is placed, then the environment in which the unborn child is, one can say, well, you, my man, Cameron, you're way more valuable because the way, the, the place in which you live in Sumner County versus Davis. Nobody in here would say that Cameron is more valuable than Davis based upon the house that he lives in, right? If you do, get out. No, I'm kidding. Like, we would never say that. We would never say that. So you have the, the, the stature and the size of an individual. You have the environment of an individual. You have the development of an individual. Well, here's, here's, here's the crazy part. The development of the brain isn't where it needs to be. So the baby isn't really a full human yet. So you can do whatever you want to. Well, did you know, shocker, the age of adolescence is actually 25 and 26. Who all is under the age of 26 in here? You're all worthless. Sorry, hate to tell you. You're all worthless. You're all worthless. Right? Nobody would say that. Nobody would say just because you're not at a certain age that you are not valuable, you are worthless. Or how about this? Your value is determined upon dependency. Your value is based upon dependency, meaning the mentally challenged, listen to me, the mentally challenged and the elderly should just be wiped away. You know who made that decision in history? Who was it? Who in history made the decision on his own to wipe away a certain group of people? Hitler. But yet we can make the decision for an unborn human being that their life is not valuable and therefore there's no difference in you and that decision and what Hitler has done. So we've seen what the facts say, we've seen what science says. But I want to give you, and I'm going to close with this, I want to give you some key verses that I believe paint the picture of what life is. And, and the first one is this, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. What we see here is that you and I were made in the image of God, that you and I are who we are for a reason, that you and I are made in the image of God. It says, then God said, let us, talking to Jesus, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish 
of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You were made in the image of God. That eight-week-old baby was made in the image of God. But not only there, love this, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. I'm going to read 13 and 14 because I love it. God literally pieced you and I together. Did you know that you look the way you look, that you act the way you act, that you are the way you are because you are uniquely and wonderfully you? Nobody on the face of this planet can do what you can do. Oh, but there's multiple teachers in the world, multiple coaches in the world, multiple doctors in the world. <laughs> Nobody can be it like you. Identical twin brother, identical twin sister cannot do what you can do. I'm going to prove it to you. Look at it. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, talking about God, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God created you. Therefore, God created every living being even an unborn child. Isaiah 44, 2. This is what the Lord says, he who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Isaiah 44, 24. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by himself. The God who created the universe created you for a purpose. We can go on and on. Psalm 51.5. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived, meaning you were sinful in your nature, meaning you, were, you need Jesus. Exodus 20.13. I'll end with this. You shall not murder. Understand that tonight's topic is very, very heavy. Understand that tonight's topic is hard for a lot of us to wrap our minds around. My goal at the beginning, you heard me say this, is not to condemn but to show you that there is freedom in Jesus, that there is hope in Jesus, and that if you are a living, breathing human being, that you, each and every one of us, regardless of your ethnic status, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you look like, drive, dress, whatever, you are worth something, and Jesus loves you. So what do we do with this? If you're wanting this to go from so what to so what do we do about it, here's what we can do about it. Whenever you encounter someone that has been affected by abortion, please do me a favor and listen to their story. Listen to their story. Isn't it incredible to hear a young or a, a woman explain her story? Isn't this incredible to hear this? And I hope that it challenges you. And if you ever have the urge to go stand in front of a place and stand in front of a building and yell and scream as women shamefully walk into a building, then shame on you. Jesus would never look somebody in the eye and basically spit, them, spit in their face and say, how dare you? Why would you do this? Is it okay to support pro-life? Please support pro-life. But I think your life speaks pro-life more than anybody standing out with a sign could ever do. 
And what's sad is they do it in the name of Jesus and please never do anything that will shame somebody else in the name of Jesus. But what Jesus modeled for us, if we can, we can bring people in and we can, we can bring them into our lives and we can wrap our arms around them with love and we can share truth with them and biblically, re, biblical responses to them in love and truth and tell them there is forgiveness and there is hope. And I can tell you from personal experience, people want to have that child. I'd do anything to have a child. I'd do anything. Don't make that decision for somebody else. You could be part of the change. When people want to write you off and say, you, are, you aren't good for anything, you just want to look after yourselves, you go, no, 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 I'm going to tell you how I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to stand on the foundation of what God's word says, that he said that I'm worth something, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're going to bring somebody into your house, you're going to bring somebody into your word and go, so are you. I know this decision doesn't make sense to you, but I guarantee you there's somebody that'll love that child. I know that doesn't make sense for you and you're gonna be embarrassed and all these things, but listen to me, Jesus loves you. He loves me and he loves that child. So please, please listen to me in the name of Jesus. You have an option. You see what I'm saying? You guys can be the change that will stir a change in the entire world, not just our community, not just in your school, but for the world to see that there is a generation that will stand up for what is right, that won't blend into things that just says that this is normal, so do it, that you will go, no, in the name of Jesus, that is murder, but I love you anyway, and I'm going to bring you in, and I'm going to rescue you, and I'm going to rescue your child. Be a generation of change. Be a generation that has a so what am I going to do about it attitude. You can do it. Love Jesus. Love people. And I love you too. Let's pray.